I think that there is uh, a real tendency as humans to try to boil things down into things that we can swallow in small bites. And something like climate change, it's not the Green Goblin has robbed a bank and Spider-Man needs to go and punch him in the face until he cries kind of thing. We love heroes, don't we? And heroines, of course. We have this desire to follow someone braver and nobler than us, to create them in that role when things are a bit confusing and scary. It's true of wars, true of pandemics, and true of climate change. We make heroes. Why? Are we hardwired to create heroes? Do our brains automatically look for the hero in the story? Is it a Western thing? Is it a man thing? And when it comes to tricky, complicated things like climate change, is it a problem or not to anoint people like Greta or David Attenborough as the people we'll look to for wisdom and strength? And in a world where you can't sod in move for Marvel superheroes this and DC superheroes that, are the kind of heroes we're even creating these days a little bit too cartoonish? Are our ideas of what heroism means a bit out of whack? Well, joining me this week on Your Brain on Climate is Al Kennedy, a dear friend of mine. Al is one of the country's leading experts on superheroes. Cause he's the host of Scotland's longest-running comics podcast, House to Astonish, as well as some other things which you'll give a shout-out to in due course. And he's very clever indeed. And, and this always helps, he totally gets the idea of what I'm trying to do with this show. As always, if you hear this noise, it denotes wisdom. It means that in the show notes, I've put a little link to some more information that you can peruse at your leisure, which might make sense of something you have heard. Right, let's get on with it. And you join us. I cut into the chat when Al was right in the middle of explaining who his favourite superhero is and why. Apparently, it's a guy called Iron Fist. Your brain brain, on climate. So there's a lot of stuff about uncertainty. There's a lot of stuff about uh, being an outsider. As I say, there's a lot of stuff about trying to find a place where you can at least feel like you might belong. Mm. And there's a lot of interesting stuff in that for, you know, a, a gawky teenager growing up, for example. And it's like, I'm not, as you know, an expert in superheroes or comic books, but what you described there sounds a bit like the kind of essence of a lot of sort of comic hero backstory, mm-hmm. right? There's a dude, often a white man, who for some reason is a bit f- bit odd, maybe not great with girls. Um, and he falls into a vat of spiders and can bite people for a superpower or something. That's approximately the origin of Spider-Man, yeah. I think it's <laughs> those, those words in a slightly different order, yeah. So so there's something about that. Kind of, there are some sort of archetypes of it, right? And, and what, what would you say the difference between like a superhero... Because really, I'm interested in like you know heroes in general. Mm. The difference between like a superhero story and a hero hero story is there anything different apart from like superheroes tend not to be able to fly faster than like, <laughs> heroes tend not to be able to fly faster than speeding bullets and stuff. Well, I, again, I think that it 
the lines between those two categories are increasingly blurred as time goes on. I think two of the most superhero superheroes that I have watched movies of just recently were John Wick and Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible. Ethan Hunt is a literally immortal man who you can right. drop him off the Burj Khalifa or whatever, and he's fine. You know, he can get caught in the path of massive explosions and just does not die. How how far away from a James Bond film being released do we have to be until we can talk about the plot of it? I further I than this, I don't know, <laughs> but I know where you're you're heading with this one. But I don't know. Okay, I'm not. I'm not going to say it. You can take yeah. the brickbats if you like. Now, pay attention, 007. I want you to take great care of this equipment. There are one or two rather special accessories. Q, have I ever let you down? Frequently. But but that might be. I, James Bond is another example. Yes, absolutely. Right? Indiana Jones. Yes. Well, he was kind of mortal, right? Because he was—he very much did bleed and stuff. Oh, oh yeah. But then he did then the thing that made him actually immortal. So. Plenty of <laughs> yeah, I guess. But plenty of superheroes <laughs> fall into that category as well. There, there was the much as I am not a fan of Jeremy Renner, the Hawkeye TV show that was on over Christmas was excellent, and he finishes that looking like a demonstration dummy in a first aid course. You know, he's covered in bits of steri strip and bleeding all over the shop and that's because he is when it comes down to a, a man with two sticks and some string and there's not a whole lot of um superness in that it's just he happens to be very good at firing bows and arrows at stuff he didn't get bitten by an arrow or anything do you think that what's happening to hero heroes is getting more and more influenced by superhero heroes. So that's kind of it's rubbing off on it over time. So. I think a bit. I think the the superhero and the hero hero, as we know them through a lot of popular media, a lot of movies in particular, um, kind of gestated around the same time, which is about the 1930s. Um, and that's when you start getting not just superheroes like Superman, Batman, Captain America, all those kind of characters. You also start getting characters like Buck Rogers, for example, who was a character f originally from uh, the kind of um, Saturday morning serial um, that would run in front of movies or whatever. And not a guy with superpowers, just you know, he was a guy, he was in a, a different genre type of story, like he was in a, a, a different sci-fi um, pathway, um, but he didn't have your powers per se. The whole thing of heroes of that larger-than-life variety, though, of course, is way, 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 way older than that. You know, yeah. you go back to, you know, if you look in the Bible, Right, the amount, Jesus. Of, the amount of characters. Yeah, I, I know I've shocked you, but <laughs> the, <laughs> amount, the amount of characters that um, are effectively superheroic in what they could do. Samson is an enormously yeah. um, evocative example of that. Your know, characters who had stories that were much larger than life. Um, and that um, even the people who were being told the stories at the time would not necessarily be expected to take those stories completely literally. You know, the, there are parables and so on. But um, you go back as far as 
humans have been sitting around telling each other things. There have been stories about heroes. You get somebody like Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh and Enkidu, right? Incredibly um, uh, form, formula of superhero kind of stuff. You know, you, you get these two people and they go out on a, a, a quest, effectively. And is Gilgamesh a superhero? You know, the the the, yeah, the, yeah. the jury is out on that, particularly given that they did literally bring him into the Avengers in the 1980s. Um, did they? Yeah. <laughs> he's officially a superhero. He is now, officially. They, he's put, literally... Have they put Achilles and Buddha into, <laughs> um, well, into well, the Avengers? He did, he did put yeah. Thor in there, obviously, of course. But no, right. uh, yeah, there we are. But yeah. No, but that's it. Like, but, you know, Greek and Roman stories, you know, you've got these guys with who could do amazing things that are all like basically channeling the gods mm. they're all like chums with the gods and stuff yeah right? i mean hercules um, is the the great big example you know the the one that people would immediately reach for if you're looking for a um a story of a superhero from um greek myth so is the is the idea then that there's something about that idea of a kind of if not superhuman then sort of you know pumped up human thing this kind of hero to which we aspire up on a hill that that goes that's really deep and it's maybe something kind of that is western culture to an extent like that idea is so I think deep inside I think it's it. not even just western culture I think it is global culture I think any any human wanting to tell a story to another human at any point will have gone here, let me tell you this one about there was this fella, right? And he could he could climb to the moon on the the moon's hair. He, he convinced the moon to let its hair down and climbed up to the moon, and the moon got Marty about it or whatever. You know, there are as many heroes as there are stories in infinity. You know, there's never been a time I don't think where we haven't told stories about heroes to each other. And I think mm. that is not even necessarily because we find it something aspirational. I genuinely think that a lot of it just comes from the fact that it's the same reason why we would go and see Mission Impossible or John Wick. It's because it's entertaining. These are things that we can't do. And we're right. being told a story about someone who can do them. And that is outlandish. And it's makes our brains go what and but it's like there's loads of things that i can't do that microsoft excel can do mm -hmm. but we don't go to the cinema to watch microsoft excel yet. running sixty five thousand yet um but the point being that maybe we can almost imagine it is us though right? yeah we can put ourselves into the position of the uh oh green goblin is that a super that's hero? a super villain that's the bad guy from the Spider-Man. Bad things. guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's another one? Superman. We can imagine we are Superman. Yeah. Uh, and we can imagine like ourselves as, I guess, Achilles when we read that. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not. Yeah. Is that a thing that's happening? Do you think we are putting ourselves there a bit? The interesting thing about that is specifically with superheroes, getting away from the wider mythological um, aspect of, yeah. of hero stories. With superheroes, when the genre was first developed, I say developed as if it was anything that was done consciously rather than just a bunch of guys in New York who were scrambling to get their next sandwich and wanted another $20 so they wrote another story for um, an incredibly unscrupulous um, media mogul. Um, but they, the characters that were... Um, 
the big guns at the time, you know, Superman, Batman, characters like that, um, they were not the characters necessarily that you were expected to want to be. They expected you to want to be Robin. They expected you to want to be Bucky, Captain America's sidekick, because these were stories which were basically power fantasies for children. And and a lot of them obviously still are, because that is the, the bones of the genre. And actually wanting to be Batman or Superman or whatever, I don't think really entered that much into their heads. There's all sorts of people will pontificate at great length about Superman's mythological um, counterparts and his um, counterparts in story of time gone by and say, you know, is Superman a Jesus analogue? Is Superman a Moses analogue leading his people and, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, But to be honest, I kind of think that what Superman really boils down to is he is a big guy who's very strong and who will take care of you and who will let you know everything is always going to be okay. Superman is basically the Ur-Dad. I think Superman is intended to be a kind of figure that children would look up to rather than a figure that children would want to be necessarily. Although, of course, that never stopped billions of children from tying a towel around their neck and running around. I found a definition by two people in my extensive research on Wikipedia. And the definition is by Scott Allison and George Gotels. Gotels? Mm-hmm. Don't know. Uh, and they said, anyway, there are four things that heroes here, not superheroes per se, but heroes, why we like heroes that they give us. And like, you know, you've sort of got ahead of my cod psychology a little bit, <laughs> but they give us wisdom. You know, they kind of, they, they're often saying, here's a thing you should do. And you're like, yeah, that is a thing I should do. That's good. They enhance us, you know, make us feel powerful. Mm-hmm. They provide moral modeling. They're always banging on about like doing the right thing and that. And they protect us, like you say, like our parents, right? And this is where you could, you could, if you wanted, accuse what you just said and what I just said of being, you know, reading far too much into it. But that is, it does feel that's what's going on to me. Like, it's mummy and daddy, well, probably mostly daddy, kind of in the heroes. I think a lot of that is true. Um, th- as the years have gone on, the genre has evolved. And the original readers of these things grew up. And a lot of them obviously moved on, discarded them because they were things that were made for children. But something which happened to the comics industry, which... Um, in a way helped to push it forward, but in another way really helped to drag it back, was that a lot of the people who grew up reading them went on to become the people who would then be the custodians of them and would write them and so on. And that helped to calcify a kind of approach to superhero stories, particularly around the 19th, sort of late 60s, early 70s, that started happening. You had people who had um, been fans of... uh, of these characters and who had done fanzines and all kinds of things like that, um, who ended up literally working for the companies and writing the characters. And that was something that led to a great entrenchment of approach. But even within just the, the US comics industry, it's 
meant that the the industry started catering to the same audience, which grew narrower and narrower and narrower every year, partly because people would eventually drift away from it, partly because they started dying of old age. Mm. And um, it was only really through the kind of explosion of the underground um, comics scenes in the 70s and the 80s and things that grew out of that, they became colossal hits. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right, was a an indie comic which became the biggest thing in the world. Um, but that didn't, even that didn't have a huge impact on the superhero comics, which were living in this little <laughs> geodesic dome, this hermetically sealed jar that was impenetrable. And then the internet came along. And suddenly all bets were off. And now when you look at what the comics industry is like, um, it is, there is still a long way to go, but it is much less straight white male than it was previously. And, and I think that's an, an enormously good thing. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there who don't think that and they're loud and they're all on YouTube. Yeah, and they don't like Ghostbusters films and that kind of No, they don't thing. like Ghostbusters films. They don't like Star Wars films now either, apparently. No, I can imagine. Since they started putting ladies in them and people who are not Caucasian. I see your point, sir. I suggest a new strategy, R2. Let the Wookiee win. She means they started to draw women now who don't have anatomically impossible backs that allow them to simultaneously show both their boobs and their bum at the same exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that kind of thing had its real heyday in the early 90s. And thankfully, it's all been downhill for that since then. It's, it is much less <laughs> that appalling. Kind of stuff. I mean, it still does happen. I mean, and that's there's no getting away from that because there will always be a section of uh, the consumer base for whom that's what they would like to read. But um, there is certainly a much broader and more diverse um, base of creators working in superhero comics now. Your brain, Your brain, Your brain on climate. climate, climate. Right, so that time we talked about climate change and that, right? Mm. And I was thinking the other day about that Greta Thunberg, mm. who I am sure you have heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking uh, she kind of fits all of the criteria that we were talking about earlier for what a hero is, mm-hmm. right? She's basically a hero. She's Mm -hmm. got, you know, she has that kind of wisdom that she provides. She uh, provides moral modelling. So she's definitely Mm -hmm. sort of giving moral leadership. And she's acting in our interest. She's sort of offering to protect us. And she's got the kind of unimpeachableness to her. That sort of like, there is something super about her and speaks with this kind of clarity that's almost like a religious leader sort of clarity. Right. And there's villains. You know, she is good and there are villains. And is what we're doing there, do you think, are we just... Is it basically a hero story? Is she the hero that has, you know, that yes. has fallen into that role? And I think it is immensely unfair on her. I Go think on. she is being put into a narrative position in which she is effectively having to carry an entire generation's story of climate activism. 
in a way which is, it's not only unfair to her, it's unfair to all the other people of her generation who were also doing it, a lot of whom were not, you know, white girls. Mm-hmm. And it's an excuse for people of another generation and another generation above that to kind of say, well, thank goodness the children will save us. And we have still the responsibility. We can't like just hand off to a, a teenager to, because she happens to do a good clap back on Twitter. You know, she has got something quite powerful to say and she's very, very good at doing it. But there is a real, I think there is a real danger that she is being um, put into a position whereby she's having a lot of weight put on her shoulders that Mm. is not sustainable, ironically. Because life is not heroes and villains, right? At least not so far as, you know, sort of vanquishing happily ever after the hero wins, the villain falls in the volcano, right? Mm. And... I've often wondered if there's a danger about seeing the story like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? And like, if it is so sort of deeply entrenched in our culture that we are so hardwired to think of heroes, was it kind of inevitable that someone like a Greta was going to fall into that role at some point? I think so. And I don't think she'll be the last one. And in terms of, you know, environmental um, heroes, environmental kind of focal points, we've always had not always, but she's not the first, you know, and they take different forms, obviously. But when you look back to when Inconvenient Truth came out and the way that Al Gore was effectively, you know, he was made into this kind of the white knight of the the climate movement in a way which turned out was not sustainable for him to carry either. Hmm. And there is a danger of, handing off responsibility, I think. Because the great thing about hero stories is that you don't need to do the thing because the hero will do it and someone will come and save you. And if we're sitting around waiting for someone to come and save us on climate change, then we're absolutely, to use one of your favourite terms, nost. 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 Yeah. Yeah, right. That's so true, though, right? That is so true. But at the same time... I, there weren't any in, right. Okay. Now you're quite right with what you said a minute ago. You have to choose your words very carefully here. There have been teenagers who did what Greta, versions of what Greta did for decades. There was, uh, the girl seven whose surname I can't remember, which tells you something, who stood up and addressed the Rio conference in 1992 and, you know, was about the same age as Greta, um, not as white as Greta and didn't quite, for whatever reason, didn't sort of capture the moment in the way that Greta did and didn't do anything kind of weirdly origin story unusual in the way that Greta did of mm-hmm. like, you know, a, a one person standing against the machine sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I do, I, I don't know, like if we... I feel like it was inevitable that there was a hero. And if you look at the way David Attenborough is now being sort of venerated, almost like a kind of god, right? And then you look at COVID and things like Captain Tom here in the UK. I feel like for these these big fluffy abstract things where we don't know what to do, we just make heroes. Seems like what we do, right? And maybe mm. it's just, we have to go, well, look, it's a thing. So given it's a thing, you know, what do we do about that? Yeah. And one of the things that has been 
I think the, one of the best messages that has come out of superhero comics, and it comes from Spider-Man again. In the 60s, Stan Lee, who is a, an enormously complicated person to talk about because there's all sorts of stuff going on there. But anyway, he said that one of the reasons why Spider-Man was so uh, popular was that he was the hero who could be you. Spider-Man wears a mask and uh, is one of the few characters now that really still maintains a kind of secret identity, quote-unquote. But he's also the character who spawned the the aphorism of with great power there must also come great responsibility. Right. And yeah. it's not a case of... It's often misquoted as with a great power comes great responsibility. And I think that it does it a disservice because it kind of suggests that you could opt out of it. It's like the great power is here. Oh, the great responsibility is here. No, thanks. I'll take the power and go. But with great power, there must also come great responsibility is more. No, look, you can do something here. And you have to do something here because if you don't, you're not the hero that you are identifying with. I think the most problematic thing about the whole kind of hero thing in climate is that idea of great power, great responsibility, right? It's uh, You're bang on when you say we're wanting somebody to do this for us. And it is the idea that someone else has the power and we don't have the responsibility. And it does, you know, it does kind of worry me that, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and the other thing I think is there's something about the the hero narrative, which is very much about, like, there's a problem, be that a bad guy or someone trying to blow up the universe or whatever, and here is someone who is going to save us from it. A lot like that don't look up kind of idea, mm -hmm. right? That film that was out, the Netflix film. But climate change ain't really like that, I don't think. It's not really a thing that is being done to life on Earth. It is life on Earth, specifically the human bit of it. Um, and I wonder if, like, just expecting it to be... It's that language of kind of heroes and villains and problems and solutions that always feels like it gets something slightly wrong in what's really going on here. Um, what do you reckon about that? I think that is true. I think that there is uh, a real tendency as humans, to try to boil things down into things that we can swallow in small bites. And something like climate change is a huge topic. It's got a lot of different aspects to it, and there are a lot of different um, factors moving in, in different directions. It's not a straight up and down, the Green Goblin has robbed a bank and Spider-Man needs to go and punch him in the face until he cries kind of thing. It's something where there will need to be actual uh, complicated and um, hard work um, efforts put into addressing it. If anything is going to be done about it, that is going to be in any way beneficial to us. And I think we're already past the point where we can be saved from it. I think it is now a case of well, how, what's the best we can do to mitigate the damage that we've already done and to reduce and to hopefully eventually eliminate the damage that we're going to do. And that kind of thing is not a very easy 
thing for us humans to get our heads around because mm. we really would like it to still be the kind of straightforward stories that we got told when we were little. And I think one thing that comes to mind when, when I think about superhero stories is that there is essentially a kind of democratization of power within oh. them in that, you know, if you're a, a high school student who gets bitten by a radioactive spider and gets given power, or if you are um, a skinny kid from Queens who gets injected with a super soldier serum and gets given power, a lot of it is to do with the redistribution of the power that is inherent in society. A lot of Superman's very earliest stories, like Superman going around beating up like union busters and things like that. Yeah, <laughs> really. Stuff. The evil businessman, right? That's, yeah. that's often, yeah, that's interesting. I've not thought of that. that I mean, his, literally Superman's arch enemy is the biggest businessman in comics. You know, Lex Luthor is big business as a person and he is, you know, evil capitalism person, literally personified. And so there is that um, vibe among comic stories that I think is built right into the firmament of them, which is that you take the power that is held by people who are not you and you give it to the people who are you. Go on, think of, name me one American blockbuster film in which the good guy is a big businessman or woman. Iron Man. Yes. Okay, Iron Man. But then he uses it for good, right? Yeah. Fine. There we are. Good. Um, yeah. I've not thought about that before. I'm a huge fan of the way you lose control and turn into an enormous green rage monster. Thanks. So look, I've set this whole chat up in a kind of artificial way, right? We're talking about superheroes and then we've gone to heroes and we're talking about climate. But I've been really interested in some of the stuff you've been saying that like increasingly these days, hero stories are not like big, shiny Superman speeding faster than a bullet and are there are there any other types of hero story that are being told in graphic novels and things like that that maybe feel more appropriate and useful for climate to you i'm not sure that that that's the place to look for the inspiration that we would really need i think the and neither are you know movies and, and things like that either this is not something yeah. that is unique or sports well, it's yeah, not like a, yeah yeah and yeah. It's, it's this it's the exact same thing with like people go well child hunger is a huge problem in the uk but it's all right because here comes marcus rashford and he's going to save everybody it doesn't work like that and you cannot abdicate your responsibility for trying to make it better yourself i think hero stories are valuable from a bunch of different perspectives. A big one is an escapist perspective. But another big one is that, as you say, a lot of the um, the, the kind of archetypal big superhero kind of characters do exemplify a kind of aspirational morality that um, is designed, very deliberately designed to be attractive. But I think if you start taking those stories and those characters as your only source of inspiration, then I think you're kind of doomed. I think that where we need to be drawing inspiration from is other people 
And if we see other people who are doing things that's inspiring us, and then we get involved and we do things that may inspire someone else in turn, then we're all helping each other to, I was going to say to become heroes would be so cheesy, but we're not. We're helping each other to not need heroes. So we shouldn't be holding out for a hero. We should be searching for the hero inside, inside ourselves. Yes, exactly. We absolutely should. Al, thank you so much for coming on Your Brain on Climate. Plug your stuff. How can people follow you, find out more about you, and what have you got going on at the moment? Yeah, well, um, I am on Twitter, um, making puns mostly, um, at House to Astonish. And the reason for that ridiculous username is because House to Astonish is also the name of my uh, comics podcast that I co-present with uh, my uh, friend Paul O'Brien. And that is Comics's, well, Scotland's longest running comics podcast. Comics's longest running Scotland podcast. Comics's longest running Scotland (laughs) podcast. That's right. Nothing but wall to wall, Urwally and the Bruins. That's it. I also have another show called Desert Island Discworld, which is a, basically, it's a bit like Desert Island Discworld, which I ask us a guest. Um, which Terry Pratchett book they would take with them if they were cast away to a desert island. And I also talk to them about their life and their work. And can you recommend any particular episodes of that one, Dave? Oh, there was one particularly compelling, a very beautiful guest that you had talking about unseen mm. academicals in the mm. last series, but one, was it, I think? I think so, yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, uh, yeah right. I've been on that. That was good. Um, and yeah, and you want, and, yeah, what else? And I've also did a brand new uh, podcast, which I am hosting for the estimable uh, comics website Shelf Dust which is called Shelf Dust Presents The War Effort in which I'm joined by various guests every week to go issue by issue through Marvel's 1984 blockbuster series Secret Wars Fantastic That's my main stuff Majestic stuff. Thank you, Al, so much for that. And thank you to you for listening, as always. You can get in touch with me. You can tell me what you thought of the show. It's hello at yourbrainonclimate.com for the emails or on Twitter at brainclimate. Please, please, please spread the word about the show. It's just me doing this, just trying to get this thing some love. And the best way you can do that is to give it a review and a rating on iTunes or whatever it's called now, Apple Podcasts. And, of course, tell your friends and share it on social media and stuff. And yeah, I mentioned it in passing there at the end, but I appear on an episode of Owl's Desert Island Discworld podcast talking about unseen academicals. I think if you search for that, you will hear me banging on actually mostly about the planet and the environment and stuff and why I do what I do and what I think about the world. So if you've ever wondered, ooh, I wonder what Dave thinks about the world, I mean, I doubt it. You get enough of the idea of that from all the other stuff I do. But if you do and you want to listen to that, then that's the thing to listen to. And a very clever idea it is too. And actually kind of inspiration for this show a little bit in the way that Al talks about something but comes at it very sideways indeed. Right, I should be back next month. Until then, look after yourself. And remember, not all heroes wear capes. And not everybody in a cape is a hero. Okay, bye.